Let us not be ashamed to speak what we shame not to think. Michel de Montaigne In a realm abound with fragility and fabrication, truth is forced underground. We must, as sentinels do, provide sanctuary to the marketplace of ideas. And so, let us prepare to proclaim boldly and contend forthrightly before the court. This is Candor and Counter. Hey guys, welcome to a late night recording of Candor and Counter. I'm Chris. I'm Sean. And I'm David. And we're here to bring you a new topic today. We'll draw here in a second. I think this is the latest we've ever started recording. Yeah. Yeah, I think the last time we started late, it was like 10 Maybe nine thirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's we're gonna run into midnight on this one, but I I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. Yep. Sean just raised his hand a minute ago, like he was in class, and he was gonna he was trying to tell we had this signal, so that like if we're gonna cough or something, we raise our hands. So everybody knows that we're gonna we need to pause for right. this because we're gonna cut it out. And uh, when my brain couldn't go there. So I saw his hand while I was doing the introduction for the episode. And I thought, he has a question. Already? Yeah. Like my brain couldn't wrap my head around the fact that you had some kind of question about what I was saying. Anyway, so our episode today is a candor episode. It is. So that means that we get to draw... And you guys get to submit. So if you haven't, go to candorencounter.com slash submit. And that will let you enter in any topic you like into a form and send it into our database. And we can draw from that so that when we get to Fridays like this, then we can have a new topic and and we aren't scrounging. <laughs> All right. For the big reveal. I don't do drum rolls, so. The topic is, is there such a thing as absolute truth? If not, how do you know? If so, how do you figure that out? Mm. Submitted so, by Ash McLeod. Ash McLeod. I know Ash. Thank you. Okay. All right, so we'll tackle them one at a time. Well, yeah, I mean, so we have to tackle the first... Is there an absolute truth? Yeah. That way we Let's can answer the other two. Let's define what we feel like they mean by absolute truth, I guess. What do you guys think? Yeah, that's a good starting point. So absolute truth can mean a lot of things. It, you can go from a universal constant to a moral absolute truth. That was the first place my, man, my mind went. Moral? Yeah. Well, I think those are probably the two biggest ones. Like an empirical one versus a moral one? Yeah. Which I guess would be more of a scientific one versus a moral one. Not versus like against each other, but like... Yeah. yeah or... Uh, and I think that there isn't much denying that there's a scientific truth. I mean, something is either correct or it's not. Now, we don't always know... 
whether some scientific yeah. things because we don't have all the information in the universe. It's like so some, we can't prove everything. Yeah, we do have. But then we do have what we consider to be scientific laws, but we don't know if it is those that are the truths or if they are being caused by a further truth beyond them. Well, basically, what I was getting at was like. I was trying to remember what I just said. I knew where I was going because I moved on to my next point in my head, but I forgot uh, what I had just said. I said we can all agree that there's oh. obviously a scientific absolute truth. Like we may not know what they all are, and our current truths may be wrong, but there does exist a pure scientific absolute truth. But now I don't believe this question is referring to absolute no, scientific I, I, empirical yeah, right. truth. I believe it's talking about a moral one, but we'll get there in just a second. If we don't, I mean, I suppose to our understanding, we know, right? As far as we know, we know the scientific truths, but, but there being one doesn't mean that we have to know it. It just means that it exists is what I'm saying. It may exist beyond our knowledge, and it may exist and be counter to our knowledge, and we may be wrong, even though we believe it's a, a truth. But an absolute one does exist, meaning even whether we know we're right or wrong, we are. Okay. Yeah, even yeah, outside yeah. of our knowledge. Like, say, well, say we're part of a multiverse, right? And that scientifically that is true. And that we will, and that we can never actually prove it, right? But that that truth exists. But the truth exists, even though we aren't aware. Even if I the mean, scientific community says it doesn't, it's still it's still hypothetical, though, isn't it? I mean, I mean if you don't know, it's like you, Schrodinger's. You could but, never know the truth, but it does exist. But how do you know? <laughs> <laughs> the, it, that's the thing, though, right? Like, if it isn't true then who are we like where 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 does that exist that's true you do have to yeah because there's there's some experience that you're experiencing right now that is at least based off of that truth even if it is just one person imagining the whole world them by themselves in a simulation that's that's right, true right if the simulation like, theory is true and like none of us actually exist and it is not real that is an absolute truth in itself right, yeah. right the whatever the end is there is a truth there is an end and a truth to it whether we could ever get there who knows yeah but okay yeah yeah okay i'm following totally now and if you want to move that to a more practical piece and say you know is there an absolute truth to the material world or whatever those are all discussions you know what i mean but like mm-hmm. Yeah, those are all topics we could talk about. Yeah, um, and I th- but I think it's fair, with, especially with the follow up questions that we're talking about a moral, um, yeah, a moral um, framework here. Oh yeah, but the way he frames, if so, I'm not sure if he's asking how do you find that out, or if he's asking how do you figure. You know what I mean? Like, why do you think that? The, the if yes, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm not sure How if do you he's, figure that out. I yeah. think I see what you mean. I'm not sure if he's asking why do you think that, or if he's asking how do you figure out the truth. It? Yeah. How do you? I think that's what he's asking. How do you figure what the truth is? Yeah, I think that's what there's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like that. That gives me something solid to work off of. But the if not, I think is sort of um, a direct, not a trap, but like a a way to show. I don't know if inconsistency is the right word, but uh, like, you see what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's this sort of He's going, circular yeah, reasoning. If not, how, how do you know that? Yeah. So, well, if you say, okay, there is no absolute truth. That's an absolute truth. Oof. That's true. So the question is, are our society's moral because of our code givers, where the codes originated from, or are we just ethically evolved somehow, you know, and we personally, we have personal ethics or morality and it's subjective for each person. And we just agreed to live under shared moral understandings. This might be a weird question, but what difference would it make whether there is or isn't a moral absolute truth? Well, let me just maybe use a hypothetical example and then maybe we'll see if that's fair. Say you are a Westerner, maybe not Christian, but you share generally the moral code of most Westerners and that's typically Judeo-Christian based, right? Murder is wrong. Stealing is wrong. Um, we protect children. You know, that there, there are certain Western standards, right? And you encounter your clearing farmland for some Bolivian lumber company or something, right? And you encounter an indigenous tribe. And that indigenous tribe... I'm really getting the detail of this. Anyway, this indigenous tribe, you find out practices cannibalism and child sacrifice. And I'm, I'm going pretty drastic here so we can sort of yeah. see where this goes. But uh, the men um, assault their women. They're physically oppressed. I'm not saying any tribes do this. I'm just, you know. Trying to draw as many extremes drawing, as possible. Yeah, I'm trying yeah, to make yeah, it as extreme as possible in a believable way, right? Like one way we could sort of connect with. All right, so now you're in this situation and you've had some contact with them because, you know, you're trying to talk with them and learn about their culture. Or maybe, maybe you don't... Uh, the, the working for the lumber company was a dumb <laughs> aside. Let's say you're a researcher and you're studying them, right? So let's change that up. And you're trying to get to understand them. 
But the thing is, you believe that what they're doing is morally wrong. But you also believe that you should leave other cultures alone. And you think people are suffering and dying because of the way that they live. So now you have a moral choice to make. Right? Like, is it better that they come to and understand your Western culture so that you can protect people who are indeed going to suffer and possibly die? Or should you protect their um, culture and say that it's just your perspective that it's wrong and they have their own cultural perspective that it's wrong. There are real world consequences in, right. in these situations. Right. Do you leave well are, enough alone? Are you saying that they believe that it is a good thing? Well, I mean, they don't even have, it, if it's aside, whether, whether they do it for something do they do it because they believe it's a good thing? I'm sure that's a hard thing to answer because good is vague, but I would say, because their understanding of what is good and bad is probably much more nuanced than good. But like, do they think they benefit or whatever? I think if their culture went on that way for thousands of years, it's probably, um, they view it as beneficial in some way. Yeah. It's it wouldn't be self sustaining if they didn't yeah. view it as neg if they viewed it all as negative. That's a good point. So I don't know if I would say good, but yeah. Well, I mean, if they think it's beneficial enough, because as a human understanding from very very basic level, ever since before we were in tribes, people understood grouping together was a good thing, and if someone died within that group, that was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Before we were in tribes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure like cannibalism involves right. like people outside the group typically or at, or someone who is beyond help in the group maybe right. even. And they saw it as healing or whatever. You know what I mean? I, I don't know specifically. I'm The hypothetical is just to show that there is a clash of the subjective and objective ideas we have. There can here. be a real world clash. And there are more subtle examples and there are... Stronger examples, but I was just drawing one line. So you don't have to solve that item in particular. I'm not asking you to, you know, solve that hypothetical situation. But I'm it, just saying. Yeah, it did answer my question. Basically, I understand what you're saying. Well, yeah, that's where the ideas can cost in the re in, in the real world. What was your question? Do you remember? I, I what difference forgotten. does it make if, if there's an absolute truth or not? Okay, okay. And if, if there is one, that would be the answer to your posed question but or your posed scenario situation, yeah. if you want to draw lines in let's say just within our society uh it can still have real world consequences you know i mean if you have a a, a moral if you believe that your moral absolute truth the moral absolute truth comes from a truth giver or a source and that that source has other truths aligned with it. Does that make sense? So like if I believe in God, I believe he's the source of moral truth. There are other things that 
I am required to believe if I am right. going to align myself and and be consistent with that truth. And those things come in conflict with people who don't believe or those absolute truth believers can come in conflict with subjective truth believers because then it's in your opinion. And obviously some people's opinions are going to be different, whether it be abortion or homosexuality or whatever it is. Like there are, um, beliefs that may disagree with other people and those are going to rub up against each other in different places in the world. And so I think that there are maybe less drastic examples than cannibalism, you know, right. but it was just to illustrate that there are policies or international conflict. There are all kinds of things that can come up when some people believe these things are wrong and some people believe these things are wrong or some people believe these other things are right. But that still happens either way, right? Because just because there is an absolute truth doesn't mean that people follow it. There's still bad people. That's true. So I guess you're kind of correct me if I'm wrong here. It seems like you're posing a question and it's sounds like you're saying, why does it matter? Well, if people disagree because it's going to happen anyway, kind of like if there's an absolute truth, it's where is it going with it? Well, whether there's an absolute truth or not, there will always be people who believe there's not. Right. So it doesn't eliminate conflict by believing it or not believing it. Yeah, a a utopia isn't created because there is an absolute truth. Yeah, everybody around the world is not going to instantly believe, and that's a fair point. I mean, but with us sitting here arguing whether it exists or not, whether an absolute truth exists or not, I guess isn't, I guess isn't, um, dependent on the conflicts between the two. So that's not really, I mean, they happen, but it's not, it's not proof of either side is what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it doesn't lend credence to either side. It just shows that there are differences. So I don't know. I was, um, I guess tackling Sean's question earlier and I took it into a broader discussion that doesn't really fit. So, I think all of it kind of lines up subjectively. One way, one one way or the other, you look at it. What do you mean? Like, it's Im- impossible to prove, but impossible to prove against. Is it impossible to prove against? I guess it is. Uh, it in is. a in a in a you know because I mean in a. Set in stone. Yeah, no more, no more than you can prove God exists. No more than right. you can prove yeah. 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 absolute truth, scientific truth. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. No more than you can prove anything. All of, of this is philosophical at, at its base form. It has to be it has to be a discussion of belief here. Folks, if you're listening today, I'm not myself. 
and I've been coughing all over the place, but it's been getting to him. We're trying to get through it. So it has to be belief. Yeah. yeah. I obviously we can't prove either one of those. So the question is, does absolute moral truth exist and absolute beyond what we believe? So like if you believe subjective truth is true, but moral absolute truth still exists beyond your belief. You see what I'm saying? Like you could still be wrong um, in a, in the way that someone who believes that absolute truth could exist or does exist and then is wrong and everyone's truth is subjective. You see what I'm saying? One of them, I don't see any in between, I guess. I was going to say one of them has to be true. Can you think of anything... So this was something I was going to bring up. If an absolute truth isn't given from, isn't given, it isn't taken from anything, but it's like a law of the universe, right? Latent. Right. That's like, the, see, that's... That, that's what I would consider a middle ground. But I don't but, know how morality could be latent. But that was my... If a species isn't doesn't have morals, or is uh, based on survival, which is what I was going to bring up about an absolute truth of morality, um, then it doesn't survive. Okay, so it comes laws of nature sort of dictating moral behavior for the purpose of propagation and survival. Right. Yeah, I see what you mean. That doesn't, I guess, dictate the more complicated human ones necessarily. It could. You could find connections maybe, you know. But like on its face, it would be harder to tell. But I do see what you mean by maybe like, I mean, don't kill. You know what I mean? Right. Don't erase your species as a latent natural law of existence, you know. Like these law of laws of uh, or not laws um like this absolute truth of morality is a law of nature that was where my mind went at first when i was thinking of absolute moral truths was a law of nature like a species can't survive without one and i don't know if that's i mean a product true. of or it's a really interesting thought. I don't know if that's a product of these, an absolute truth that is either given or created by a species, or if it's because of these that they uh, we come up with our own moral truth. Right. I don't disagree that a lot of these natural laws could be a form of absolute truth, and that they could dictate the propagation or... Uh, moral compass of some surviving species, you know, like human or whatever. Yeah, I think the question becomes whether it's cause or effect. Like, which, I don't know sure. which it is. Yeah. But in the broader scheme of things, like in the broader human experience, it's much more nuanced than that. Like, I think you have to have some kind of mechanism 
the nuances of the human experience don't seem to me to be explainable by just natural law. Like, take for example... But I also feel like most laws are general. Like, they aren't meant to be specific. Especially laws of nature. No, I get that. I'm just saying... I mean... And we have evolved to a point to where... Yeah, okay, well, let's just draw... Let's go back to our hypothetical, right? Let's go back to the Bolivian rainforest and encounter our tribe, and you have this conundrum, right? But by natural law... Um doesn't really speak to whether or not you should or shouldn't beat your wife. Right? Like, traditionally. I mean, I still have just as many babies. Or close to, anyway. But like, I I would argue that over the long term, it would have some impact. I know, but like... And then the species would start to fail. Okay. On its reproductive, because the females would... I mean, it's a very common thing, revolution. Right. Something would happen in the long term that would cause that society to fail. Collapse. It would be, uh, it would end itself. Yeah. Right. And that may be the case, but like you're, you. The proof is in our history. But you think you should let them alone, and and I'm not judging you for that. I'm just saying, like, how would how do you proceed forward though? If there's no, if there's no agreeable, as the species as a whole, you pull them toward that moral truth, uh-huh. that law of nature that helps the species survive and propagate. Right. Okay. So. Mm. I'm kind of into this. Kind of into this, <laughs> yeah. Into this idea that David's talking about. I, I was, I've almost, in my mind, I've almost been completely on the side of no, no moral truth. It's all subjective, and what you experience is is who you are, uh-huh. right? And I mean, I guess that's it either way, but that does make sense to me. And if I was also thinking if if you what's the word if you if you throw into the mix the the need for balance of chaos and order as well it makes even more sense to me because that explains mm-hmm. why people are you know still so this law bad. of nature thing right it's still subjective to the species. And it also doesn't... For their need of survival. So it, it is still subjective. Yeah, like we're conscious and we can contemplate yeah. these facts, but like if it's purely driven by natural law, there doesn't seem to be any kind of room for individual... I, I don't know. Like uh, the mechanisms behind them become so convoluted once we become conscious. 
Yeah. Rather than just driven by... I think it's much simpler. Like, so even if we're conscious, our species' need for survival stays the same. So your moral implications for the survival of that species stays the same. Okay. But in a... That's... that's it seems easy to say in a broader context, but it's like when you're applying that to the moral laws of human beings and the way they interact with each other, it doesn't, it doesn't always translate on the micro scale. Like right and wrong decisions are, are made in our own personal choices every day. And it's like where that source or, not not even the source whether that is absolutely true like good or bad right or does absolute this is an absolute moral evil this is an absolute moral good those truths how do you discern those truths like there's no it seems subjective to be able to discern them if something would lead the species to devastation or if something would lead the species to survival slash prosperity, I think that that question is the one you ask to answer those questions. So there's nothing morally wrong. I'm not trying to paint you in a bad way here. I'm trying to play the field, right? And I'm trying to Pick and see if this does that. So just hear me out for a second. So if it doesn't do anything to any, you know, if you can, if there's a species out there that doesn't affect, uh, you know, or collapse an environment or an ecosystem, it's doesn't affect us humans propagation in any way negatively it can just be wiped off the planet what do you mean i don't know that it it, it probably would affect an ecosystem so i am I not picking this specifically for that reason but let's say we could kill all the dolphins and it doesn't affect our food it doesn't affect it doesn't affect humans right i mean there's no there's no natural law reason we should just leave it. But there's also nothing for us to kill it. There's nothing saying well, kill well, that thing. Okay. Cod. Let's say No, cod is a food fish. <laughs> um I'm not saying that there is a reason. I, I, I was trying to come up with one that was drastic to get the point across, but... Like giraffes? <laughs> sure. I'm not saying that we have to be the one to kill it, but it could go... Like, say their habitat's disappearing and farming is coming in. Why would you conserve them when human beings would be fed with the farming food, right? Like, the farming food. Why would you save the giraffe to spite the farm? I'm not saying... I, and I'm not trying wrong. to pin you with no, a specific example. But 
the moral laws that come from God or a source like him don't say to protect them either. I, they were saved during the Ark. Right. But as far as I understand, it is never specifically said. No, it, he puts man in charge of the animals, but you're right. It's not like conservationism is in the Bible. Um, at least not to my knowledge, it may be. Um, but, but I'm not claiming that it is. I'm, I'm only saying we all agree for some reason that we shouldn't do it. Right. It's because we want to preserve the world we're standing on. Mate, I don't see how that, like, I don't, I don't see that as a natural. The laws of morality don't govern everything, even if there was an absolute moral truth. Like, yeah, like doesn't govern every single right. thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. It's not an all encompassing. Every minute decision that human beings make is covered by the moral law. Well. Or truth. I mean, it, it could be. Well, right. Yeah. That's it's not the assertion. Possible. Yeah, right, right, right. right. That's not, not the assertion. But it, yeah, that's a fair point, too. But I don't know. It just seems that we, as a society or a world, tend to agree that conservationism seems to be a net. Like, it seems to be good. Unanimously. Right. I mean, across cultures, not across cultures, actually, there are some cultures that aren't, but like it seems to be in developed or developing countries that is a, a amiable goal. Yeah, something to fight for. Right. And that so the other way around, I mean, you know, the, the yeah, poachers the are bad and, guys. Yeah. You know, they're bad people do bad things and if it's just it just seems like that's a subjective view but I don't see a natural reason for us to preserve them for every like okay like a specific rhino right the white rhino versus the black rhino right that's like a lot of humans view kittens as cute. Yeah, I don't. Like. Yeah, I get it. There are things that just, we just do. Right. And it's not fair to have you, like, explain every single decision that people view as good or bad. I'm just trying to find out, like, I'm trying to tease out that, because I don't understand that hypothesis about the natural, I'm trying to understand it the natural um, order, natural law, causing moral or dictating moral good. Yeah. And so um, I I don't have a firm grasp on how that would, how that works. And so I was trying to figure it out. I don't know whether the laws of nature that, guide a species to survive is the cause of moral good or if it is an effect of moral good 
So, like, if moral... Moral good leads to a species survival. Or if survival... Is because is of. Well, no, not because, That'd just be stating... Oh. Um, it would be the cause. Like, our cooperation and, and moral training is the Catalyst. great mammalian yeah. filter that we got through. Right. And so because we were able to do that. We've become what we are. We've become what we are. That's a that's an interesting thought I'd never uh, heard before. But I didn't even connect it to the great filter. That's a when you said it, that's what I thought of. That's such I, a good <laughs> oh it that's what it hit me as when you sort of said it. It was like that's a filter that like other species can't get through because they don't have a, a form of like ethical cooperation strong enough, you know, the ability, I mean, you have to have other things probably. I mean, like, I, I don't know. There are probably limiting developments that can happen in the sea because it's the sea. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't develop, the communities you can like you do on land, that kind of thing. There are other elements that are limiting filters, but for those listening, if you haven't heard of the great filter, Mm. Oh yeah. We didn't explain that very well. It is a hypothetical barrier that each species will come across. And if you fail to pass this filter, your species is guaranteed to die out. Right. Yeah. at, At some point, and it's not anything specific either. No, it could the, be like yeah, nuclear the, war, space A lot travel. of times it's referenced in um, the calculations that whether we will or whether there exists another intelligent life out there. The, and why we the, would or would not have heard from them. What's the paradox called? The Fermi? Fermi. Fermi paradox. Fermi paradox, yeah. Um, That's just the the... Yeah. The number game there where we statistically should have should have another advanced civilization um that is capable of communicating with us in some way. And the paradox is we haven't. Why haven't they? Yeah. And the paradox is then if it's statistically we should have then why have we not? And the great filter is one of the theories as to Answer why we have not, paradox, and it's yeah. that there are limiting factors that we don't really understand that keep civilizations below a certain threshold. Mm-hmm. And where we are in that great filter is the question that I was referring to, and I left all of that context out when I used it a minute ago. <laughs> That's what, So we all got excited because we've, we've heard and talked about this before. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a known it, yeah, theory. It's pretty yeah, common, yeah. 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 But... Um, if you weren't aware, that's what we were talking about. And about David's reference, I was saying, seems like it might be connected in some way or could possibly be... Um, the Great Filter. Part of the filter. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting connection. I cannot believe... I didn't even... You were getting there. It would have taken a lot more. I didn't get it either. Well, well, when you said it, you said it in a way where you were like talking about limiting factors, like, and that's what got me because I, I mean that, that was what the filter was. 
I wasn't even making a direct connection. I was saying, I was using it as a sort of example. Example, yeah. But when you said it, I was like, wait. But then when you said it, I was like, well, I guess that could be like a direct. <laughs> <laughs> I was just sort of using an analogy. But yeah, like it is a <laughs> like a limiting factor in species. So yeah. that would be a direct connection to the filter. It's wild. Moral law. That's the great filter. We just don't know it yet. <sighs> okay, so let me let me start from my perspective. We started from I that totally came out of left field, by the way. Your idea about um Laws of nature and the moral the morality. Yeah, yeah. It totally had to make it made me really work overtime. Because um I had never I didn't expect something new to come to the table. And it, it's the only way I've ever been able to explain to myself moral law and how it came about. Well, Jordan Peterson does a, a particularly good job at explaining the evolution of ethics. We've had a small discussion on this before and about the development of hierarchies, which is a form of cooperation yeah, yeah. agreed um, social structure and the development of, of ethics out of cooperation and um, uh, and play and things like that. And, and so there's a lot of good information there. But it's basically, since I don't have enough proof to support a source of moral law to myself, I have to find a way to explain it naturally. Mm. And it just kind of, I don't know. I've, My only issue with this theory is that it doesn't, it's not, I use this word too much. I was going to say nuanced. My concern with this theory is that I can't find enough definite, specific, um, real world application for me in my decision making. So most, most moral law are very specific because they have come from humans. That's what we're used to. That's what we're conditioned to see mm -hmm. is moral law coming from a human talking to another human. But on the nature world, you, you can't have that. The only explanation is to be able to have is for a species to survive. It has to be kind to or work with others close to itself which is typically family i i don't disagree that the the need for mutually beneficial interaction relationships and decision making isn't absolutely essential to the human survival i mean i agree with that but and i'm not just talking about humans I'm talking about every species has some right. form of a moral. Well, I think guidance um, based on its survival. I don't know. It gets complicated outside of humans because we don't understand the form of consciousness that animals have. So I don't really know what to say there. So I, I'll leave that alone. But that's fair. The thing with me is. 
I, I feel like as humans, we need, if you have, um, an absolute truth, an absolute moral truth, meaning this is good and this is bad. Like that means one decision is going to be wrong and one decision is going to be right. Or this decision is going to be wrong, period. Knowing you interpreting that is subjective is what I'm saying. Because you're like, you're saying, well, it comes from nature and it's bound by these laws, but it's such a general, it's a theory with a general goal. And with that in mind, the specific situations may not be easily working out what is individually right and what is individually wrong seems subjective with a general with a general goal. Like if I kill someone, it wouldn't end the species kind of thing. Well, that's one way of looking at it, but I, I know I could understand that one on your side. Like I could, as a morally distinct line in the sand, I can understand murder with your theory of natural survival. That's the easiest one to understand from your perspective, because I mean, okay, we can all agree in the human species. Let's stop killing each other. But uh, I mean, because you know what I mean? Like I can yeah. understand that cooperative agreement. It, if, if it's the most per- simplest yeah, form right. of preservation. Yeah. So, but it's the more reductionist ones not reductionist. It's the more specific ones that I struggle with. So I was trying to think, I, I don't want to, I, I have a lot of hypotheticals, but I don't want to do that. I'm trying to not say, what about this situation? What about this situation? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying but to it's... speak in more general terms, but it's hard to do. And I'm trying to do it without m- trying to paint somebody because some of them can seem colorful and without making it seeming like I'm trapping you, you know what I mean? Like, cause that's not my no, goal. No, Cause you're, I, I think we understand each other. We're very, I mean, we're curious. So like you're, you're trying to understand what, what's happening here. Yeah. But like I've, Okay. I am going to use this colorful example because I I was afraid to use it for the reasons I stated a minute ago, but also for the emotional or I'm not for using things that are going to um, elicit responses rather than use logical explanations. But I have, I've heard this argument, this hypothetical pose before. I just want to use it in the room so that maybe you get where I'm coming from. I think I know where you're going with this. And I have been for a while, but I've been waiting for you to ask the question. Go for it. (laughs) And you might, I don't know. The example I heard was, you know, you're, you're in the, you're a Westerner and you have Western ideals. You are someone who believes that it's wrong but you also believe that it's up to 
It is subjective. Yeah, yeah, that it's subjective, that what is good is subjective, right? And all of us in the Western world agree that it's wrong, but you find a man raping a child. What, and that person, it, it is outside of the law. We're not talking about what's against the well, law. Yeah, we're saying... Say you're in Cambodia, yeah, right? Yeah. And you're not... There is no law. You you have, a, you have a choice. You can... I mean, you can even say you have a gun. You can kill the person, right? It doesn't matter. That's not really the point. You can save that person because you believe that it's wrong, but he believes... It doesn't matter what you believe if his truth is something else, right? What, and I guess maybe it'd be better if you played the devil's advocate here rather than answering that question directly because your view isn't that. Yeah, my, my view is. Isn't that everything is purely right. subjective, right? But, and that's why I'm saying there are other examples and I, you know, we could dig around more, but. I don't think that the intricacies of the differences in opinion are cleared out by just saying that natural law brings the decisions to light. Like, I, I don't know. That was the wrong way to say it. I get your point. I just have trouble discerning what truth would be under your system. That's all. As a general rule, I think if something creates conflict then it is typically immoral. Does that make a, a conflict? Yeah, con conflict is yeah. a negative yeah. in terms of um, community yeah. or survival. And I think at its base level, any form of rape, child or otherwise, creates conflict between right. two people at the very least. Conflict is difficult to... Yeah, I feel like conflict is not the term I want to use. Well. Because I don't want to seem like I'm talking about like conflicts of interest. Because if it's an isolated incident, it is obvious then that, that that man is in the wrong. And if it happens everywhere, that society has failed and is immoral. Okay. So does that mean that we can then pass judgment on other cultures? Judgment is a strong word. Okay. I, I wasn't talking about meeting out punishment. I just meant that means that we can draw the line and say that we have to fix them. I, I didn't mean it as in like they need to be, you know. When you're trying to get someone who is mentally ill to go to therapy and they don't want to is that moral so like forcefully you're saying it's immoral to force them I think so but is it immoral to not force them and watch immoral things happen if you have tried everything in your power outside of forcing them to find help uh, and recognize that they are being immoral then it is not immoral for you to 
say, I've done everything I can. Because I think the same thing goes for, I mean, we talked about this previously, but prisoners. I think if someone shows that they cannot be saved, then they are worthy of the death penalty. And saved is a strong term, but. I know what you mean. Yeah. The the, the quality of, of repentance and redemption. And of course, those also go for extreme cases, penalty of death and all that. But. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, this is, I'm trying to stay consistent and I'm trying to understand where, if I'm being inconsistent. And it's surprising me how much I'm unable to wrap my head around this idea. I'm trying really hard about the natural law being a source. You know, the whole point of candor encounter in the beginning for me, and we've talked about this many times on the show, has been to reach into somewhere that we either have never been or have avoided going, right? And I spent years listening to people talk about absolute moral truth. In Sorry, what? what way? Like in church or? In, in a lot of my, I don't know if you remember this term from the After Death episode, but the apologetics, which is the study for and the defense of my religion against the secular worldview outside of the church. And like what that, you know, when you're confronted with things that science brings you or that the world brings you that come into conflict with your belief then you have to understand them. And the and the case of morality is one of those places. So, I mean, some of those places are, you know, after death, and some are the creation of the world, and some are more specific. Um, and one of those places that the secular world clashes up against the Christian world is the idea of where we find our standards our moral standards and why but wasn't isn't it Jesus Christ that said uh, what is sin for one might not be sin for another I don't know I'm not going to lie I don't know if he actually said that but there is a little bit of subjectivity in sin I don't know if you guys remember my definition of sin as a separation from God. Mm -hmm. So there is, there are different um, types of moral law in God's perspective, in the God of the Bible. And some of those are immutable. They don't change. Right. And some of them do change. So <clears throat> this isn't really on topic, but it gives you the idea of what, how some things are law to God and then not later and how some things are always and will be. So in the old Testament, a lot of critics of Christian beliefs would talk about like, well, you can't wear fabrics with two different types of materials and you can't eat certain types of food and 
pork is unclean. And like, you know what I mean? There are different parts of the Old Testament that are not followed today as in modern Christianity. And some people would view, well, it's in the Bible, so you must obey it and you're not doing it. And so you're sinning. But in that case, like God was speaking directly to a certain people. Like he was speaking directly to Israelites, created laws for the Israelites. And those laws were in place to exemplify how, because they couldn't follow this, God gave them this form of... Kind of like to show humans sin. It was like, I mean, you're just going to go around breaking all of these laws. It doesn't matter what standard I put up. You couldn't hold up to it. Much less a standard of perfection. Anyway, but he has laws, laws around sacrifice, all of these things that the Israelites had to follow. And those are not moral laws. Those are, um, I don't remember the exact term. There is a term that's used in this study, but I don't remember exactly what it is. But they're like cultural laws, right? But the laws that exist in the Old Testament that carried on are either repeated in the New Testament to the new church or like the Ten Commandments are moral in some way, like killing and stealing and honoring God and things like that. Yeah. And so the ones that did carry through are ones that have always been true, right? They were true throughout time and throughout God's creation. So there are some definitive things in the Bible that are sins, like killing someone, is immediately separating you from God. Right, right. Murdering someone. And there are some things that are yours alone. And what I mean by that is anything that separates you from God is a sin, and God has a special plan for every person. You not following his will for your life causes a separation. Yeah. Take Jonah and the whale for an example. It's a simple story. It's a famous story, so most people know it. Jonah is told to go to Nineveh and then to share God with them. They're a, a immoral people. Yeah, He's told to go share it with them. They are terrifying to him. <laughs> and I mean, he they is were... scared to go. I mean, he could be killed, you know. And so he's, God sends him on a mission. And Jonah goes, and then uh, he gets ready to leave. And then he's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go. I'm going to get on this boat, and I'm going to go the other way. And then God sends the storm and blah, 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 right? He swallowed up by the whale. But the whole point is God had a will for his life, and God has a will for everyone's life in the Christian perspective, okay? He has a will for my life, and every decision that I make, I should be in a relationship with God and in touch with God, and I should be able to understand what he wants. Okay, so if I'm doing something that separates me particularly in my mission, then that is a sin. So 
God, you know, this is a, a topic that's generally talked about within the church. It's a debated topic, alcohol, right? Because alcohol, it can be a damaging substance. Jesus turns water into alcohol, mm-hmm. right? So that seems to be like a point of people either latch onto one or the other yeah, and they yeah. say, uh, no, God made wine. So, uh, no, it's not inherently just bad to drink wine, right? And then other people say, well, obviously, um, alcohol is bad and it shouldn't be anywhere near us. That's the this two lines right. that are drawn and different denominations act differently over them. So the question is, is it a sin to drink alcohol, right? So the that becomes one of those... I don't know what you call it, maybe a gray area, right? Not a black and white area. So then you go, well, and sin meaning something is good or bad, right? Mm-hmm. Or a source of moral truth. So if you have gray area, how can you have an absolute moral truth, right? Well, as I explained earlier, God has a plan for you. And it's your job to be in a relationship with him and to stay in contact with him. So if having a drink of alcohol affects one person differently than another, some people get addicted, some people are recovering, right? Whatever. So some people can have a drink of alcohol and nothing happens. They just, every night at seven o'clock, they have a nightcap maybe, and it doesn't do anything. Doesn't, they still have a relationship with God and they, doesn't affect them in any way, right? In that case, if everything was in accordance, like if everything, your relationship with God is good and it's not affecting it in any way, that's not a sin. You see, it's not causing any separation from God. If you do have an addiction, you know that drink is going to cause further separation from God because it disconnects you from your abilities and your reality and all of that thing, all of those things. It, it causes alcohol to take a higher place and priority in your life than God does, right? Which addiction of any sort does. All right, so you might call that a subjective sin, right? It's not subjective to God, right? right, right yeah. But it is personalized. De- yeah, dependent on the person. Now, sins get a little more complicated, like. If you have, what if you don't personally suffer from addiction and you can't have a drink of alcohol, right? Is it a sin to have alcohol in your home, right? Well, if you have a brother in Christ who is a friend of yours and is always over at your home and you leaving alcohol out in the open makes it more difficult for your brother to maintain a relationship with Christ. And you aren't doing what you could do to support them as a brother. And you were not aiding his willpower and you were hurting him. I mean, it's still his choice, right? Right. But are you being supportive, right? Are you, are you taking out and having drinks when he wants one? Like, 
sin, you know, when you start, God's will for your life is to be a brother in Christ to others. You begin denying God's will in that way, you know? And so I'm not trying to say that there is pure subjectivity in sin. In sin. I heard that when I was talking to Carson earlier this week about, about Jesus Mm -hmm. and he he quoted Jesus another time, and I would say it applies here. He said, he said, Carson said, Jesus said. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> it's not what goes in the body that defiles it, but what comes out. Of course, taking that a little parabolically. Yeah, one of those, like, how you act. Right, what yeah. you do and say is what. Yeah. But Again, also, t- taking in the case of drinking or. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, though, right? Even if, well, it's essentially the same. I was gonna thing. say it's basically the same thing as. It's it's a yeah I guess a sort of kitschy way of saying what comes out matters to God, and it's not what goes in that matters to God. Right. I mean, you can oversimplify that. Yeah, so definitely. Like you can say, oh, pornography doesn't matter to God. Right, that's what's going in. It only matters how I act outside. Right, but you're. It's just like lying to yourself. Yeah, you, know? you have to be true to yourself still, yeah. right? You're you're just lying about the reality that that the pornography is affecting you or not affecting you. You know, it's like there, and I don't know. Again, of a specific instance where Jesus said that, I don't. I don't. Again, I don't think that he did, but I the essence of that statement is true um, in a way. Because, I mean, obviously, like with the alcohol, you can't say that alcohol isn't a moral substance to have. You can't say that. Right. You can't, be, you can't say that and be consistent with the same Bible. And so the key really, though, in this, there is some subjectivity if you want to look at it that way. Because, like, if you don't believe in God and then you see Christians saying, you know, or me saying, sins can be different for different people, that sounds like I'm saying that There's there is subjectivity. Yeah, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we should be careful to support each other and we should be careful to maintain our relationship with God. That's what I'm saying. And that, which is is ultimately the immoral good. Right. And that's while acknowledging moral standards that don't change in some instances. The question here, is there an absolute truth? If not, how do you know? And we ended up in a place, like I said earlier, I did not expect. Because you're, if I'm not mistaken, you're saying, yes, an absolute truth exists. Its source is the ultimate survival slash prosperity. But it's natural law dictating it. Right. 
right? It's the existence of nature dictating that. And maybe this week I will sort of be able to understand that a little more. I won't lie because I am struggling. I am too. To wrap my head around it. Because it's a totally new concept to me in a way that I'm still waiting for my brain to catch up with me on. So forming, finding vulnerable places in that theory to try to poke it out, to prod out um, some flaw or understand it is uh, difficult to say the least um, with it being so new to me. But earlier, Sean, when I started talking about apologetics, um, I didn't get to the end of that statement. I spent years listening to people talk about and defend against this secular worldview, which is why I was a little bit blindsided by your perspective, because that hasn't really been... And there will probably be... I'm not going to say like damning evidence, but there there will probably be perspectives out there that are like this that I can um, understand the arguments against once I go looking because I'm just not able to like formulate and understand them right now. But the ones I had... I mean, I've never done any research on it myself. I'm coming into conflict with the way that I used to consume information right now. Okay. That's why I was talking about apologetics earlier. The way I used to listen to these apologetics talk, sometimes they were debates, okay? It wasn't always uh, just one-sided, but I used to hear a lot of speeches and things like that. And a lot of times they would pose the argument, right, as a binary, as in like it's either subjective or it's absolute and how do you how in the world would you ever get an absolute without a truth provider right like if you don't have a truth giver you don't have absolute truth. right and i never really questioned that and so today was that sort of me coming around and going okay because i'm being fair and balanced especially with myself because like if if I just want to just like throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks that might come up with something but like in my logical train of consistent thought you know David derailed the train (laughs) (laughs) Because I was headed toward the secular, um, subjective only right. destination. You're right. Of, are too. you? Me too. I was. I the, was. The uh, non-existence of absolute mm-hmm. truth, and then I do want to talk about subjectivity, though. I don't want to yeah. ignore it. None of us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sean, you you said originally that you were sort of digging what David was saying, but. And that you were originally a believer in subjectivity, personal truth. Yeah, maybe. And um, but we didn't dig in more about how you felt. And 
I didn't want to make assumptions. Well, at this point, I'm still chewing on, on David's ideas as well. But I don't know if there would be a moral truth, but there is a balance of, of, of morality, in my opinion, or good and evil. And I can definitely see it being dictated by a law of nature, which is not what I expected. But well, also, just calling everything subjective is a really easy and convenient answer, I feel like, because, I mean, it's just so easy to understand, you know? I'm, I, that's the wrong way to put it. Because something that I, I came to a conclusion in my head about well, that's what I was saying. Kind of I, was came, I came into conflict with the way I consumed information was because I was realizing at the moment you were saying that, that you had thought some about it at least. And that I didn't realize until that very moment I had listened to someone possibly and not totally because some people believe in subjective truth between every person. Um, but I was going to say create a straw man and then I went with that assumption for so many years, but it's not really a straw man as more as it's a, they created it as a sort of binary. Uh, what, there's a name for that argument where you create two choices and act like that's the only two choices. And um, I was grappling with the fact that they, I mean, they may not have realized they were doing it or or they did it and, and chose to only cover that one argument or whatever. But the case is, like, everything that I had ever studied on moral ambiguity or the source of moral righteousness, I mean, all of the, however you want to say it, right, absolute moral truth seemed in my mind to come down to those two things. And... um. You know, when I was confronted with the truth that it didn't, uh, that's where that lockup happened. <laughs> you know, and and then I was just like, when you realize that your assumptions were wrong, what do you do with that information? And my old response in years past would be to go find out more information to combat like what you told me but the my goal of being part of this experiment that we're doing is to question myself not the other way around and so when the brakes were put on earlier i it was me trying to figure out where like where did my process break down you know how did you feel about the theory that I put forward is what you were kind of like asking yourself. Oh yeah. I mean, I was definitely, it was a battle like in my head there was like, but how can you find a, find a flaw here? And then it, it was like, you know, I was coming out on the other side and then I would go stop, trying to just find a flaw and just think for a minute. Just think. 
and just contemplate it as it is before you try to do because if you're doing it before you understand it then you then your motive is wrong like if you do it before you understand it you're the sole reason you're doing it is to protect what you already think you know oh we've talked about that before yeah and so i i felt that happening and i was trying to move through it you know and i tried to move through it using examples that I had already understood against the secular argument. And when I realized that they just weren't applying as much, I realized that I'm going to have to spend some more time trying to understand this. I do believe there are similarities in the pure subjective understanding and the natural law dictation of absolute truth, such as, the ambiguity issues that I mentioned earlier that I want to try to understand a little more and the life decision. I don't know how to describe that. The life decision gray areas. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how to say that, but that I want to see how they, how do they play in? There's usually a lot of typing that goes on in the uh, research weeks. And I think a lot of this upcoming week is going to be th- a lot of thinking and then a little bit of typing. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I mean, some research can help open doors, but it's still a thought experiment. It's still... Yeah an examination of what you believe and why you believe it. I'm excited to research. I've never actually done any research on it. My belief, I mean, we already know this, but I'm just going to clearly state it. My belief is that there is a source of good and righteousness in the universe and that it's the creator of the universe who designed us to be this way or designed us to operate under these understandings of right and wrong. In the story of Genesis in the Garden of Eden, there is the tree, and it's a tree that God tells us not to eat from. And do you, do you guys know the name of the tree? What he calls the tree? Tree of knowledge. So the name... I don't know the name. Name? No, it's not like a name. Like a title? You were close. You had half of it. So, God says not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm. When we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, now you will know. And now you will experience what you know. And... Whenever we embodied the evil in this world, we knew from God's direction whether it was right or whether it was wrong, and he gave us a conscience for that. And I think that there is a clear absolute for whatever decision that you make, 
for whatever day, for whatever whatever decision it is, there isn't a it doesn't matter. Does that make sense? And it could be small, it could be big. It doesn't mean that those because they matter to God doesn't mean that they should stop you in your tracks and debate every one of them, right? But it matters to God because he specifically has a plan. You know, he gave you the specific numbers of hairs on your head. It doesn't matter if whether you're getting up and going to the bathroom or not or buying a car or a truck versus a truck you know it doesn't mean you have to weigh out every decision with every absolute but it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter right I mean every decision will have an outcome well every is maybe a little too broad but every decision will have an outcome that affects later something somewhere yeah. yeah later events and but what I was getting at was I think that there is an absolute now whether we always understand that absolute there's another thing you know because part of that question was how do you know and how do you know what is absolute yeah how, how do you know what's an absolute truth versus how do you know an that absolute truth exists. Yes. Yeah. And we tackled that earlier and said, well, we don't like you the just answer, like absolutes yeah. are unprovable, right? Infinity yeah. is unprovable. Absolutes are the answer to literally those... unprovable, but how do you know? So if you want to say, well, that's not what they're talking about. If we were to follow like one way or the other personally, then, then saying, mm-hmm. how would you know what truths are absolute, or how do you know? How do you identify absolute truths? I would say that if they are important enough, then God has shared them with you in your relationship together. They don't disagree with His own Scripture. That when I'm talking about God as the source, you know, or He has already said in Scripture, right. they're morally wrong. That's my that's my take. You mentioned earlier that some of that information about what is an absolute truth can be gleaned from the source, uh, the natural law. Yeah, it's hard to point out because a lot of it lines up with like. Christianity, right? Because Christianity, the its moral structure helps with the survival of the human species because it's, it is mutually beneficial to everyone involved. Yeah, it's it, coincidentally it's cooperative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't want to sound repetitive, yeah. but with the mutually beneficial nature that comes with cooperation in families and communities and the advancement that comes with the society due to those things 
the survival of that society because of those advancements. It seems all too coincidental to me to not be some natural law that says a species will survive if they have this kind of moral code generally among the species. Because, I mean, even before Jesus and Christianity, humans tended towards community and togetherness. And it might have been just due to the fact that we survive better in groups. You can't distinguish between one or the other because they both would cause similar, if not the same thing. So I guess to that effect, they are the same thing. It'll be a natural law either way, right? I mean, if it's observed as one. I mean, none of this is like, this is my own thought. Well, yeah, I know, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Right? This is all. <laughs> For a society to survive, I guess, beyond the great filter, uh, some moral law has to be had. Otherwise, cooperation isn't strong enough. And they fail. Yeah. And the species dies. You look like I did about two years ago when I first <laughs> thought of this. I, I'm, I'm really trying to work through this macro view. This is the hardest alignment that I've having to make tonight. And okay. Sean, David, and I went at each other for a good while today. Is there anything that we... Yeah, well, I was just trying to glean a lot from what you guys were talking about because I was also just trying to understand how David's framework could work in it because it hasn't been something I considered before. Not seriously, anyway. Like, not to a level where I think I could understand it like I feel like I'm going now. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't wait to come back next week and be like, I don't know what I was thinking, guys. But which I don't honestly believe that's going to happen. But I mean, if I were to give give it a fair shake, right? Give, if I were to give it my view, I don't think there's an absolute truth. And what does it say? How how do I know? Yeah. I mean, I don't. Yeah. For one. Maybe because <laughs> you can't know. Yeah, exactly. That, Therefore, that, you, that's what I was getting there's to. There's no was, evidence like, was, against it. Uh, it's kind of the since same. Since I'm taking what's in front of me and not taking hypotheticals, I'm going to say no. I think Which each is, human is, is driven by their own experiences and what they personally believe to be right and wrong. and Which I think is consistent. Especially with how both of us view religion. What do you mean? The way we view religion is we can't know because we don't have enough evidence to support. It being subjective just lines up with a lot of other things too, like, you know, individualism and like... uh, Do you want to expand on on the relationship between subjective truth and individual and the individual you can only say something or truly believe something to be true if 
you know, you have backing evidence. Truth can only be what it is truth, which is what an individual knows. So each individual has their own truth based on their life experiences, right? Or at least, I mean, that's... Truth that's formed on experience. Yeah. You know, what's in front of you is what's real, and that's what there is. But I don't entirely believe that strictly. Like I like I said, I think there there is a balance of, of good and evil as well. As like, you know, what's in front of me is what I believe and to be true. I mean, yeah, uh, for all I know, uh, space is fake and we're all on the Truman Show, you know? <laughs> but I, I choose to believe that. You have enough evidence to support that we aren't. But I mean, and do that, I? All right, fair. <laughs> but I mean, don't don't let the early morning hour <laughs> trick you into leaving the absolute moral truth for the absolute empirical truth. What did you mean? Oh, yeah, we clarified that in the very beginning and completely forgot about it. Uh, we're discussing, I guess, the moral compass, is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, and that's something a lot harder to quantify. And when you say the theory of um, moral subjectivity creates almost like a panic with inside me, like leaving humans up to their own decisions seems like because we're horrible not decisions, but we're horrible standard creating. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, we're we're just despicable people overall and do atrocious things to each other and i think that we can reason that out with subjectivity you know and it's like yeah i just see this sort of cop out not that you're copying out i'm just saying like in the it's just so like gaping holes so people don't have to think about it kind of thing right like i like i said it's it's the easiest to understand and grasp and accept right but it's the easiest to work around when you want to do something immoral. Also true. Because you can say, I mean, that's not my experience. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know? (laughs) And then the, if that's the standard that everything is measured by, then even if it's culturally accepted is the standard, even if it goes beyond the individual, it's still, any standard is, of of right and wrong is left up to the human it is subject to change because tomorrow yeah, that can yeah. be different yeah and it doesn't always move forward and these are like i talked about earlier arguments that i've heard from other apologists i guess but from a secular point of view, no one is wrong in any sense at that point. Like Lenin or Stalin is not wrong and Hitler is not wrong. And without a standard beyond the individual, I guess. Yeah, that's a really good point. I guess there sort of has to be something like that there. But... And I don't know if that's a, 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 
it sounds like an effective argument, but I don't know if it actually is. Like, I don't know if there's. Well, you can zoom out. Like, you can still zoom out. Well, I mean, bad, a little bit. People can do bad things and know they're doing bad things, not not thinking they're good. You know, but their motivation isn't really the problem. It's like how do you condemn the action? Oh right. It doesn't even have any kind of weight. What is the reasoning behind saying you can't do that, you know? The standard we created, I guess. I was going to say, you can zoom out a little bit and pull up from the individual and say communities make the standard. Well, that's what I was saying, though, but the whole German community agreed that this is okay. That's not true. Well, they allowed it. Was about, it. it was about 26% or something. There, there right. was a specific percent, but it was it was a, a low percent, and people yeah. just let it, it happen. It usually only takes about 10% to shift yeah. the actions of, of a community. Yeah, I, I, I get that, but I'm saying the direct involvement may not have been the whole German community. I agree with that. It became the modus operandi. I mean, it wasn't... Well, okay, I think mob mentality goes beyond morality. Once they gained momentum, morality had no say. Right, the tipping point? Yeah. Mm. I'm not disagreeing with you. I mean, you're reverting to your natural law, though, right? No. You're talking about... The communities building the moral compass. I'm saying eventually... Yeah. There will become, say, like the the, the the causation doesn't directly relate to like being able to identify something as moral or immoral. Well, so we're saying the community chooses what's moral and immoral. They create that compass. Mm -hmm. And you compare the German community that allowed the Nazis to Mm -hmm. take over. Eventually, it doesn't matter what the moral compass is. They knew the Germans were wrong. They chose not to do anything. Not all of them. I won't say all of them because there were plenty who fought back. They were quickly killed, but that's besides the point. I was arguing. Okay, but regardless of however many, I guess they can't say knew, thought it was wrong. If the community dictated what was right and wrong, when the community changed, it was still dictating it. Yes, they still said it was wrong. A a large number of Germans fought against, pushed back against Nazi Germany. Yes, there were people that fought against it. But I'm saying that I'm not arguing that what they were doing wasn't wrong or was wrong. I'm saying that if your idea is the community decided, then the community decided. Like, what do you mean? Well, they did it. Like, the community did decide it. Yes. And they decided that it was not too immoral to do. So they did it. What do you mean, not too immoral to do? Okay. So. 
if the masses, the country, the community can decide what is moral and immoral based on subjectivity, right? The Germans did that. Regardless of how many fought back, regardless of the pushback that came in the end. So they did decide. I I think I understand where the confusion came in. The German community and Nazi Germany are two separate parties. Okay. German community. Dictatorship. Said it's wrong. Nazi Germany said, shut up. Nazi Germany said, so Nazi or not Nazi Germany, sorry, the German community that said it was wrong. They are the community, not Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany is the outlier. Nazi Germany goes, takes over the world. It is still wrong in the eyes of the community. Okay. I'm not trying to evade being wrong here, but like that, it's just pushing the can. It's just saying the next community is always right. Like there's going to be an example of where a community decided and went wrong. If you're using the subjectivity argument, no, because whenever the community decides is right, but like in, in, in comparison to an, an absolutist like me, there is a point where a community will choose the wrong thing. And at that point, they're, they're, they're my own devil's advocate. There are, we can go further back. You know, there is a community, a tribe that does cannibalism. That's what right? I was going to say. We, not, can go, we can go further back than Germans. We can yeah. go Aztecs. They sacrifice they sacrificed on, their children, right? Uh, like several times a week. Right. So if you can't, yeah. what I'm saying is you might find a community that you can defend at this point, but at some point you're going to find one you can't. You know, and there are reasons why that community may not understand it because they were less developed or culturally developed or, uh, you know, we talked about in other episodes about judging civilizations in times past and the way they acted in we today's to context. Word. But you're eventually going to find a community that chose the wrong thing, Right. And so if you use the community as the standard, let's ignore the standard for a minute and just stay with subjectivity. That bad thing that they did can't be called wrong because you use the community as the standard. Just like if a person does a bad thing and says it was right for them, it's the same like concept, I guess. Presentism. Presentism. That's pretty easy to remember. Yeah, I'm kidding. I didn't expect it to be that simple. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was Somewhere. I was largely testing to see how I felt about subjectism. Because I was seeing what I could defend in it. But then, like, once I played devil's advocate and was like, well, the Aztecs were a community. Yeah, all right. Hold on. And realize, like, I'm not about now, I, I could tell that you, I mean, you were using something you didn't even believe. Yeah. I, could, I knew you were playing that role, but I just, 
I felt the same way about communities that I felt about the individual. If you left it up to the group or the individual or whatever, it would just end up being one day some group would do something we all know is immoral, you know. Not if they wanted to survive. Oh, yeah, no, I I was... No, I know, but I I just... I was isolating subjectivity, yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying for a community, if a community wants to survive... They don't burn their crops. Not unless they're like, you know, sowing the field. Yeah. But they what? don't do immoral things unless they, well, not unless they want, but what? because the, the, unless they get the community dies. I'm, I'm confused. You're going to have to straighten it's a out. It's kind of a, just a mix of the two. I, I took my ideology, ideology and like, moved it downward from species to community to see if it still worked and it does. Okay, I'm following you. You went uh, you you zoomed in some with your theory. Yeah. And for the community to survive, which is tribalism, not in a negative connotation, no, yeah. but like the survival of the tribe. Yeah, it it plays out the same. I don't know why I didn't connect that earlier. You yeah, didn't. it bring it brings I mean, it in a little a lot. Well, you like, didn't think about that earlier when he was talking about the indigenous tribe. Well, that was before. I, I, that, I was thinking about. I was in subjective subjectivity <laughs> mindset. I was I was seeing how I could defend it and see. I didn't consider my own ideology mixed in with it. I mean, so this goes for for pretty much any subject, I guess, but due to how philosophical the question is and how much you'll have to look inward for the answer, uh, I feel like next week we're still going to be unpacking the same ideas. I know what you mean. We may have a a couple of clearer, or at least clear-ish answers. But none of them will answer the big, big question, right? I mean, we're not going to come back next week and say, hey, I can prove absolute right. yeah, like, <laughs> exists. Get close, everyone. I have the secret <laughs> to life. <laughs> but the question is, can we find a source? To, can we get exposed to something that can shift our perspective enough to change our mind? Right. Right. That's the thing. And what that's going to take is exposing ourselves to others' opinions and maybe not evidence per se, but like convincing arguments that maybe we haven't heard from each other. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like I'm going to come away more set in stone. Yeah. Yeah. Next week. Yeah. Well, it's been a long one for us here tonight. (laughs) Yeah, it is. So a good one though. Oh yeah. I think we're going to call it. If you haven't already, you can find us on Facebook at Counter Encounter Podcast. We post every episode there. You can find us also on every podcast platform. If you want a topic for us to talk about, you can also go to counterencounter.com slash submit. Uh, submit whatever's on your mind there, and we'll try to unpack it here uh, as best we can. We would appreciate it. If you guys are on Apple Podcasts right now, please leave us a review, rate and review, and let us know how we did and what we can do better. 
And if you are on our website, at the top of the page, there is a Podchaser link. Do the same there. And guys, we really appreciate you listening today. Had no idea that where this was going to take us. We never do. True. So don't blame us. It's not our fault. We didn't submit the topic. It's your fault. It's your fault you're here right now. Um, anonymous. We blame you. It, was, it wasn't anonymous. Ash. Ash McLeod. Right. I forgot. We, 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 we read his name three and a half hours ago. I just forgot. No. Um, it's your fault. It's your fault, Ash, that we're here right now at 3 a.m. And, um, but we love you for it because this is what we wanted to do. This is what we chose to do. So thanks again, guys. We love you as a human being. We hope to see you again. Take it easy. Until next time. There's nothing worthwhile here. Nothing. Go about your day. Go eat breakfast or dinner or lunch. 